chapter 3 on page 269 of the Church Bibles. Ruth chapter 3. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you, or you'll be well provided for. <clears throat> now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his, or uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the, to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her, and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Good to see you all. As uh, David mentioned earlier, I'm on placement here at Christchurch and I usually go to the morning, but I get the chance occasionally to come in the evening and um, preach God's word and it's a great privilege and I, I know I'm following here in the footsteps of Michael and JP and I'm sure they've done an amazing job so far in the book of Ruth. I'll just say, say a quick prayer. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you so much that it's living today and I just pray that you'd give me the words in this sun short time we have, Lord, that you, you would have um, us here tonight in our hearts. Amen. Um, I've entitled my talk tonight on Ruth, chapter 3, The Courage to Risk. I don't know how you go with risk. Uh, one time I found myself um, facing a risk that was quite unusual. It was when um, we moved back over to the UK. You see, I was, I was born here in the UK. I was actually born in Edinburgh Hospital, David, have you? 
know that. Um, but at an early, early age, we moved to Australia, and um, it, it wasn't until eight years ago, my wife being English, we, we needed to come back to the UK, and we needed to come back quite quickly for an important family reason. It meant that I came into the UK on my Australian passport. I had had a British one, but it had expired. And I was told, don't worry about that, it'll be completely fine because you've got a British birth certificate. Well, um, don't always trust what you're told because after some time went by, I tried to get myself established here and get a national insurance number, sort work out and things like that. And um, I think as a result of me making these inquiries, I received a phone call. I'm still not quite sure who it was, but I think in the home office perhaps. Uh, they said, we want to know how you got into the country. <laughs> And I said, well, I'm a British citizen. Um, I can prove that. I've got my birth certificate. And once I had sent it to them, they came back and said, um, we're afraid we're not going to accept that because it's the short-form birth certificate you're providing. And I, I thought, oh, goodness, that's the only birth certificate we've got. And this went back and forwards, but I felt like I was in a weird catch-22 type situation where they were saying, you can't prove who you are, and I was saying, well, it's not my fault, the hospital won't come up with the long-form birth certificate. And during those few days, it was only a few days, I probably had a taste of what maybe some people who are here and don't have secure identity documents feel. It's, you suddenly feel very insecure, you feel at risk. And I didn't know, perhaps someone was going to come and knock at the door and, and take me off somewhere. I had to sort out a very quick emergency passport appointment, and um, it's hard to get a, a fast-track passport appointment, you might have realised at different times. I, I ended up on a Sunday driving to Wales and back, to, out of all places, to get this passport appointment. And within a couple of days, my British passport arrived, and I could have kissed it. It was just security, you know, that sense of, oh, now I can be sorted, and I can engage in British society. I can work, get healthcare, pay taxes, whatever. I'm not an outsider, I belong, I'm all in. Well, turning to the book of Ruth, we have a young lady here also who's an outsider. She's a Moabite, but she's adopted a new identity. You might, might remember in chapter one, there was that amazing statement that Ruth gave to Naomi when Naomi said, no, you know, stay, stay in, in Moab, I'm going back to Israel. And she said, no, unlike the other daughter-in-law, Ruth said, Naomi, your people will be my people and your God, my God. And as we turn to chapter 3, I think this is a guiding light really for us to understand um, the tale. It's a key factor, Ruth's embrace of her new passport identity, I guess you could say. Um, you'll remember that last week in chapter 2, and I we've just got a, a painting I want to show you, I think the next slide, isn't that... That's a beautiful uh, painting there of Ruth gathering um, sheaves. She's come within what we could say is the protective orbit of Boaz, a wealthy farmer, man of standing in the community. And she's not just being tolerated, she's being looked after by Boaz. He's told his men to leave her alone and um, he's making sure she gets enough each day to provide for her and Naomi. Then we come to chapter 3, which I think we might agree is the most weird and wonderful chapter perhaps in this book. Um, Naomi's come up with an idea of marriage for Ruth. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if you've any experience of an um, arranged marriage, uh, perhaps someone you know. I have a friend at the moment who's um, from an Asian country, and her brother's going through the beginning of an arranged marriage, and he's, he's been over to that country. He's had um, a family joint conversation, a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Gifts have been exchanged, and now they're up to arranging you know, the engagement. It's all bound by cultural um, requirement, requirements and norms. Well, in this case, Ruth is, is doing something completely different because she herself is, um, is initiating, isn't she? She herself is, is going out in the nighttime. It, it, even for this culture, this is really out of the box. She's gone out to a, the threshing floor. Now, during harvest, the threshing floor was a place outside the village. Uh, away from the village where um, the men would take the, the grain that had been ground by the animals and throw it up in the air. There was a lovely wind that came in over the, um, from the sea and came in in the evening and it would separate um, the sheaves um, from, from the grain. And it's also a time of feasting, a time of feasting for the men. Now, she's gone out into there uh, at night time and then we, we see this kind of unusual interaction where she comes in the dark and she lies down at Boaz's feet and indeed uncovers his feet. What's going on here? A good question, isn't it? Commentators have speculated and some have wondered, you know, is this all polite code for some kind of sexual encounter between the two? Um, there's an argument about that. But others have noted that doesn't square at all with the nobility of character we've seen in Ruth and the, the nobility of character we've seen in Boaz so far. And it doesn't appear consistent. It, it, instead, they argue that Ruth um, at Boaz's feet is really signifying a posture of humility and supplication before him. And then in the middle of the night, something startles Boaz. Can you imagine it? You know, can you imagine being Boaz and waking up and um, there's somebody lying at your feet in the darkness? You can almost hear the tense whisper, Who are you? Who are you? What do you want? I'm your servant, Ruth, she replies. And then we get to this, this key phrase, Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. And I know JP touched on the meaning last week of that phrase, guardian, redeemer, a close influential relative to whom members of an extended family could turn to for help. And so what it appears is that Ruth's actions and her words are indeed that delicate request for marriage. There's an amazing passage in Ezekiel chapter 16 where the Lord is actually speaking to Jerusalem personified as sometimes happens with the prophets, personified as a woman. And these are the words. I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. There's an even closer reference in the book of Ruth itself in chapter 2, because Boaz um, praises Ruth, you might remember from last week, and he says, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. 
Boaz's words here aren't just incidental because they give us a clue to the emotional tone and perhaps the intention of Ruth. It's almost as if she's come in the middle of the night and she's challenging Boaz and saying, well, you prayed that prayer for me, Boaz. Are you going to practice what you preach? Maybe you can be the answer to your prayer. But I think we should pause right now and marvel at Ruth's boldness. Like we've said, she's an outsider, she's a Moabite, she's a poor widow, she doesn't have anything to her name, her husband's dead. Um, Boaz is a man of standing, a landowner, and she's reversing the cultural norm anyway by being the one to propose marriage in this unusual way. Altogether, it's a profoundly risky undertaking. What, what are the risks that Ruth is taking? Well, she doesn't know Boaz that well, does she? I mean, he could have taken advantage of her in that situation. But what about being discovered by the other men before she got to him? They could have taken advantage of her or ridiculed her. A whole lot of things could have gone profoundly wrong. Instead, she takes these risks. And Boaz's response is overwhelming. It's so compassionate. It's so kind. Um, he tells her, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. He praises her. I, we have another picture. Um, I just love this painting that I found because it's Boaz and Ruth and um, just such a kindness and joy in their face. My, um, my daughters were doing, just as an aside, that my daughters were doing a, a quiz, uh, some kind of quiz on the Bible, and the question said, what kind of man was Boaz before he met Ruth? And I was wondering, you know, because I was thinking about Ruth, but the, the answer was, ruthless. Now, <laughs> I, I don't think that's true at all. I think the painting and, and everything we know about Boaz is profoundly shaped by the kindness of God, profoundly shaped by his identity as a person of the covenant. But we're left marveling at the end of chapter um, th three, aren't we? We're on the edge of our seats. What's going to happen? You know, it turns out there's this other guardian redeemer, um, and he has first, you know, rights. So Boaz is going to go and try and address that. Did all this sort of happen automatically, all this blessing for Ruth? No, it's the outcome of a profound courage, a profound boldness and risk-taking. And that's a theme through the whole book the interplay of God's purposes and will with very real human decisions and will. Human decisions count. Human decisions can be woven into God's purposes in powerful ways. Let's zoom in on Ruth's risk-taking. What was the source of her courage? Like we've said, she was in the orbit of um, Boaz's kindness. And he told the men leave her alone, made sure she had enough, she was protected, she was provided for, following along, collecting the sheaves that had been left over. She could have been content to stay there. But Ruth said, no, I'm going to go after something more. I'm going to take up this idea of Naomi's. She wasn't obliged to do that. I'm going to seek a newer and deeper relationship with Boaz. And I think what we can say is that the courage that somehow Ruth was able to access wasn't just coming from an experience of Boaz's kindness. It was coming from her new passport identity, her identity as a member of God's covenant people. 
She'd been grafted in, and she'd made that key choice at the point where her husband, a Jewish man, had died. And she said, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And she's walking that out. She's walking out her identity in God. In her heart, you can almost hear a song. I'm not an outsider. I belong. Your God, Naomi, has become my God. Your people have become my people. Your God, Boaz, is my God. She's not being defined by her past, not seeing herself as damaged goods. She's seeing herself as a child of God. Her new identity has gone deep into her bones and she's living out of it. And I think um, somehow, yeah, if we just bring up the next screen. Yeah, so the, kind, the, the kindness produces trust in Ruth. And then the next one, thanks. Um, an identity leads to a sense of her own authority. And if we bring the two together, it's, it's almost the alchemy of those two things that I think produces that courage to risk, that courage to step out of her safety zone. And I think from the other side of the cross where we are today, all of us, we can gain so much from this story. Because we too, like Ruth, we, we have a guardian redeemer might not be a relative, you know, who's going to be obliged to do something. But it, it's a much greater guardian redeemer, isn't it? He's a much greater guardian redeemer. Jesus Christ. And just like Boaz had a right of redemption, but he was under no obligation to cash, cash it in, so it was with Christ. He chose, chose, freely chose to save us. Just as Boaz saw the plight of widows and the hungry, so Christ sees the plight of the oppressed and has mercy. And just as Boaz is closely associated as kin, so Christ is closely associated with us. Romans tells us he's being born in the likeness of sinful flesh. So I think we're on firm ground to draw some um, lessons for our own relationship with Jesus. The question I think, though, that we have to ask ourselves is what kind of relationship do we want with Jesus? What kind of relationship do we want with our, our guardian redeemer? To put it bluntly, do we want to have a, a Ruth chapter 2 kind of relationship? Let's go to the next screen, the painting that we saw. A Ruth chapter 2 kind of relationship where, you know, we're content with his provision. It's no small thing, is it? His provision in our lives, our material needs, jobs, homes, friends, family, church life. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing. Or are we going to risk for more for a Ruth chapter 3 type relationship with our guardian redeemer? A relationship marked by a greater intimacy, a deeper partnership, a deeper partnership with our Lord, with his people, with the world he loves and seeks to um, transform. And also for the sake of not missing out on what purposes he might have for us that we might not even be aware of yet. In Ruth's case, as we'll find out next week, she was ultimately, her life was taken up powerfully into the purposes of God for human history, to the lineage of Christ, no less. Now, as we listen to this, we might think, well, it sounds good in theory, but it's a bit daunting. I don't think I can take those kind of risks. I, I'm sort of in the comfort zone with Jesus, and, and that's okay. And it's true, our experience of kindness with Jesus does set our heart at ease. 
Like we saw with Ruth, there was another aspect going on, and it was her identity. It was her identity as a, as a member of the covenant people of God. And so if we're feeling a resistance to, to risk-taking for Christ, I guess, if we think, well, that's just not my personality to be such a risk-taker, I'd like to say today, it's not like that. It's not about personality types. It's about an identity. You know, I've got this passport here. I showed you at the beginning. It, it's one of the, <laughs> the maroon ones still. Um, you know, it tells me my name. It tells me my citizenship, a few other things. But I've got this other identity document. I've got this other identity document. It's a bit thicker, and it's full of amazing things. It tells me who I am. It says I'm a child of God. It says I'm no longer a slave. And regarding my citizenship, it says I'm a citizen of heaven. Philippians chapter 3. It says a few other things. It says I'm adopted into God's family, that he formed my inmost parts, that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made that I'm a new creation, that I'm God's temple, that his spirit dwells in me, that he has plans to prosper me, not to harm me, to give me hope in the future, that I've been given a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. I've been redeemed through his blood according to the riches of his grace. I'm a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand. That's a beautiful one, isn't it? And this document tells me that the Lord says, fear not, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. So the thing is, we've been given this identity already. We don't need to climb a mountain, cross a sea, or even drive to Wales and back in the day. It's bestowed upon us. It's our inheritance in Christ. And the challenge is just to stand on this truth, to live out of it, to let it work deeply within us, as, as Ruth did with her new Jewish identity. To let our identity in Christ be our guiding light. You know, we sing a lovely song uh, that Matt leads us in. I am who you say I am. Well, it's seeking to know the fullness of what that means, isn't it? I am who you say I am. And let this experience of our identity interact with our experiences of God's kindness in our lives, like Ruth did. And let it activate us to the courage to step out, the courage to risk. Let me ask you just as we finish, what does going out onto the threshing floor in the dark look like for you right now in your life? It's not for me to say what it looks like. What does it look like for you? Remember, you've already got what you need. The way is dark, sure, it's dark. But this document, you know, it reminds us we walk by faith and not by sight. What's it going to look like going out onto that threshing floor? I'll just close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for your word and yeah, thank you that it it doesn't, um, doesn't go forth and it doesn't return to you void, Lord. It will accomplish, your word will accomplish what it, what it sent for. And I just pray tonight that whatever I've shared that is of you, Lord, would just remain. And what's not would just fall away. Thank you, Lord, for the challenge to risk more, to risk more for a closer relationship with you, 
for a closer walk with you, stepping into the calling that you, you may have on each that you do have on each of our lives, whatever that looks like for each of us. The challenge to engage more with your kingdom, with your people. And Lord, some of us might know right now what that means, and others might just have an inkling. But Lord, whether we're anxious, whether we're excited, whether we're both at the same time, we just help us to stand on that truth that we are who you say we are. In Jesus' name, amen.